Welcome to the podcast series of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts. We bring you sounds to engage with you and invite you to think with us. This is episode four in our guest series, What Does Community Mean to You? Made by Ken Gordon and Sadie Ryan. The reaction of different organisations to the current challenge has been varied. How do people and organisations who support the homeless, refugees and asylum seekers flex and move on? What's the impact on musicians? In this series, we celebrate the breadth of cultures, ideas and experiences across Scotland, the generosity, challenges and creativity that have risen to the fore in recent times. The title of this episode is Love was the most important thing. In this episode, you'll hear from Rachel, Ewan, Farouz and Frizana about what they do and how it had to change in March 2020. If you'd like to find out more about any of the people or organisations mentioned in this episode, you can find information and links in the show notes. I'm Rachel Smith and I'm Operations Manager at Kinning Park Complex, which is an independent multi-use community centre in the south side of Glasgow. I've always, to be honest, I've always really thought of community as like very vague, like such a vague word because it's so broad, like vague and I guess vague can be seen as quite negative, but I mean in like the nicest possible way, it's really nice and open and warm that it is so vague because it can mean so many different things. Like, you know, when you say community, you think of your neighbour, you think of people who are in a certain area code, you think of people who are you know, a certain race or religion or or you think of like your support bubble, I guess. It can be so many different things. But I think it always means people who are there for each other, I think, you know, like people who are connected or people who are together, um, no matter in what kind of capacity that is. That's kind of how I see community <laughs> and how I've always seen it. Um, well, I've kind of grown to that view of it or like perception of it since working in Kinning Park for like the last five years. It's definitely kind of angled my view on it that way. Well, Kinning Park has been like a really quite a big learning curve, I think. It's kind of opened my eyes, I suppose. It's just made me realise the kind of complexities of people, um, interests and needs and barriers all those things that, that, you know, people experience individually and as a collective as well. I think before Kinning Park, I probably had a kind of textbook uh, view or association with community that would have been like your neighborhood, pretty much. Where you are from, where you live, was definitely like just the kind of straight perception I had. But since working at KPC, I just, I guess I've just met so many different people and seen and, you know, had the privilege to be part of so many things, events, conversations, that the kind of, I think of so many different things as my community. And when I'm in work, like the community of KPC is, is so varied, um, doesn't really have a horizon. I feel like it's ongoing. I think the, well, the biggest, like most obvious change is 
the lack of kind of face-to-face, -face, kind of physical contact that has happened since March. Uh, KPC was like a venue space that people could rent out and kind of grow and do their own thing. But we, our, our main activity was a community meal that we ran like three times a week. And then it went down to two times, uh, twice a week. It was very much like about bringing people together, um, having conversations, taking part in things and, and just pretty much like seeing people. Um, and obviously in March that all stopped. We closed the cafe and had to kind of think quick. We took a couple weeks probably to like come together as a team to kind of think quick about how we still have this connection with um, people who attended our cafe, um, but by not actually seeing them. Thankfully, we were able to get people's like contact details before everything went into lockdown. We kind of preempted something, so we were able to get phone numbers. So we were actually able to phone people to check in and just like keep in touch and kind of take it from there. To be honest, we kind of just adapted what we had always done. There's now new limitations in place, but like we moved from being a physical cafe space to being like a voice on the other end of the phone and then a weekly food delivery service as well with food packs. Well, I think one of the biggest things for us was that we had actually already closed our building. Kinning Park is now actually closed for like major renovation work. This was like a project, obviously a goal we were working towards for for many years, pretty much since I first came on board, actually. Obviously, it's a great space to go to because so many great things happen there, but it's um, it's not comfortable. It's cold. Mm. It's not accessible. We had been closed since 2019 and already had, because we had a renovation packet, a plan in place, um, we also had already planned ahead for the for the whole year of 2020. Um, not to have any revenue. So wages for staff and the cafe project being somewhere else, um, we were actually running it from Clyde Community Hall since November. Pretty much our only priority was like, how do we reach out to people? How do we make sure people in the neighborhood are right? How do we make sure that, you know, regular people who come to us, who we know are okay? Like, what do we need to do? What, yeah, to, to keep in touch and tell them we're still here. Um, so I think that's why we were we were quite quick to turn around, to be honest, and also quite confident in that. Because we got such an influx of volunteers as well. So not only were people phoning us because they needed a bit of support, they were also phoning us because they wanted to help. We were lucky enough to open in October and we've kind of just been running back to the cafe as we had been before COVID. And um, we're still doing phone support I feel like at KPC, we're kind of constantly adapting. Although the general idea stays the same, you know, of like getting people in, having conversations, having food. It's something that we've always done, I guess. It's kind of what's slowly built us. And then other people who use the space, who hire, you know, who hired the hall or whatever, it was quite often food events um, that would be in that space um, in the downstairs hall and I think it was a kind of I always thought it was a bit of like a living room vibe you know like really nice 
welcoming living room space where you just wanted to hang out and chat and and meet people and it never failed to surprise me or be in awe of the fact that sometimes you could look around the room and just be like it's so it's so nice to see so many people so many different people like sharing a space and i really enjoy it it's just really nice i think glasgow just has this amazing history of um social activism you know you look back and you see throughout time how people tend to rally together to support each other and that kind of continues i think that mentality really continues in the city there's just always so much there's so many organizations out there just like working really hard to to help and support people and there's just so many people who always you know volunteers and people just looking to give their time to do what they can and um i kind of see that I feel like I've always seen that in the city and I, I still, I really notice all those qualities. I love it, I love it here. My name's Ewan Bach and I'm uh, the Glasgow uh, Project Coordinator for Social Bite. Um, I do sort of the community arm of what Social Bite's doing uh, in Glasgow and other parts of Scotland. I would say it's community is pretty fundamental to what it is we're doing. Our name is sort of trying to to get to that idea is that the, the bite aspect is the food that we are providing. But um, in general, you know, food really acts as a vehicle for people to come together, to have some form of social interaction and just to have a place to be. I guess community, I think, is something that keeps coming up in general conferences or conversations uh, within different organisations working in homelessness and housing and health. And it, it seems to be kind of like a real uh, issue. At, at Social Bite, part of what we do, or what we were doing before things changed with COVID, um, was we had community meals through our cafes. And we kind of did some feedback from our main community meals, asking um, people what they liked about coming or, or what was important to them uh, when they came to Social Bite. I would have thought that mo most people would, th would have the idea that we were kind of trying to satisfy people's hunger, kind of keep them alive through nutrition or that there would be no alternative for people that would be their only way of getting a meal and so you'd expect the feedback to be that it's just great to have some something to eat and we do put kind of effort into making sure there's choice and making sure there's healthy options and stuff but the vast majority of responses that came back from people was what they liked about coming was that it was a, a safe place to be it was a place that they knew other people. It was a place where they felt valued, felt human. It was a place where they could gain confidence by just being around other people. And it was actually much more to do with being around people and, and, and having somewhere to be and, and having uh, people that know you than it was 
to do with food. We did um, some videos recently, some promotional videos for a, a fundraising event we were doing last year. A lot of, uh, of the volunteers that are, uh, work in, in Social Bite are people with an experience of homelessness themselves that maybe aren't quite ready or not interested in employment or um, don't want the confines of that just yet, but want to have something to contribute to, want to have somewhere that they can sort of value themselves and increase their, their confidence. And it also helps with the dynamic of the place that is, is run by people that have experienced homelessness themselves. And when we asked them on, on the video, like what it was that was most sort of important to them about being there, independently, unknowing what they what the other person had said on the video, they both said love. Just like on its own, that was the most important thing. <clears throat> Which again, sort of showed to me that it, it, food was really just like a sort of nominal part of what it was we were trying to achieve. Even though we didn't go out to, on the outset, we went to try and ensure that people had something to eat. But I think as a, without knowing, we kind of created this place where people could kind of be together and, and, and have a, a community. So up until March, we'd been um, doing everything as usual, providing community meals. Um, we, have, we work with about um, 60 volunteers. Um, a significant number of those are people with experience of homelessness. And we were also employing people that had experience of homelessness as well. We'd and then I remember my CEO at the time saying, um, oh yeah, there's this coronavirus in Italy. And I was like, okay, yeah, I think it's gonna be all right though. You know, it's one of those things that just, it's not really on your radar. And then, and then you know, suddenly it, it was. Um, and I was actually there in, in the shop when we were providing food that day when things, hadn't gone into lockdown at that point but suddenly everyone was talking about it and there was this real sense of like it's in the air like it's it's around you somewhere and suddenly you had to kind of change your interaction and I remember being feeling really anxious because it's a, quite a small space that we're providing food out of and people had to queue outside unfortunately on the days that we provide takeaway rather than a, than a sit-in meal and everyone was so bunched together and people were under the influence of drugs and alcohol were sedated kind of a, could be aggressive in fact i'm pretty sure there was some aggression that night and just this feeling of all these people were just gonna get this illness you know and people that are experiencing uh, homelessness because of their other health issues, often their uh, immune system is quite uh, sort of depleted. So they're really vulnerable to, to getting the illness to, to begin with. So yeah, that was quite scary that initial day. And I remember feeling like really uh, like, whoa, what are we gonna, what are we gonna do here? We had to change basically to, you know, the, the idea of being able to bring people together sort of became less of a priority than making sure that people actually had food.
there's all these people that were suddenly in a situation where they'd never been been uh, without sort of basic essentials like food. And we were getting all these phone calls from people and because they saw us as people that had provided food before to other people, could we do something for them? And we almost overnight became this kind of advice signposting centre as well. So we decided to provide food to people that were accommodated in hotels. Thankfully, everybody that had been rough sleeping was accommodated in hotels. The scary thing is they're still in those hotels and we're in nine months later now. And also other organisations, so we were donating food to um, organisations working with children and families and some schools, some veteran community um, support networks, stuff like that. I guess one thing that I kind of have thought about um, with this whole thing that's gone on, um, by which I mean coronavirus, is a lot of what everyone's experienced in a way kind of replicates the experience of, of someone to a much smaller degree that's, um, you know, gone through, through, through homelessness. The, the idea of being cut off from your loved ones or friends, the inability to go to shops or cinemas or restaurants, having to constantly queue as well as something that the people we work with just constantly have to do either if they're going to try and present as homeless or if they just want to get food or whatever, it's just queue after queue. The lack of trust in, in authority, these sort of rules might appear unfair or and they definitely restrict us. And that that's something that people that have experienced homelessness for a long period of time have dealt with this entire time, all of those things, but to a much bigger degree um, or a much harder degree, sorry. And I think it's probably also highlighted to us um, the importance of, uh, of having a comfortable home when things are hard, the importance of having a, a place of sort of uh, solace or a place to kind of rest and, and escape the, the difficulties that we're, that, that we're facing. I'd, I'd hope that maybe going forward there'd be some level of increased empathy for the people that have been experiencing that prior to all of this and may experience it again in the future, you know, um, if, if things don't if things don't change and we're able to provide better, um, a better community or a better sort of society that doesn't really allow homelessness to happen in, in the way that it has done before. I don't know if that will just be something that fades away but I, I know definitely from having conversations with people in, in the public recently, there's been a lot more kind of, oh, you know, this year has been hard, but it must have been so much harder for, for people that were homeless. I think that it has been harder, but I think it's probably a lot of the stuff that guys are experiencing now, um, they've experienced for a really long time. It's just us that have experienced it recently to a higher degree. Um, maybe that will help us to sort of have a little bit more understanding. I don't know. My name is Firuz Khan. I'm studying community development in University of Glasgow, currently third year. 
I'm doing my placement with Crown Hill Development Trust and uh, in February 2020, we have formed a refugee-led group called Share My Voice. The aim of the group was to, to bring a positive change to community, especially uh, in the lives of new Scots, asylum seekers and refugees. Now, currently, we are working with seven different nationalities. Afghans, Iranians, Syrians, Yemenis, Pakistanis, Kurds, and we've had a family from, from Egypt. Because of the COVID-19, we are not meeting face-to-face, -face, but we did have some meetings in February before the lockdown. Uh, currently, everything is online. So, as example, if a family uh, has been granted with the decision and they're looking to apply for benefits, universal credit or child uh, benefit or child tax element uh, or housing benefit uh, or if they're applying for house or if it's for filling a form uh, for registering with GP. These are all the services we provide. We have uh, asylum seekers and we do have refugees and we do have people who are living here from maybe seven years, but unfortunately they, they do not have their documents or they're still in uh, process of asylum. But it's, it's some of the service users are new to the country. Most of them are here from no time. As I'm a refugee myself, there are many barriers we face. They, some are like, we, nobody told me when I came that this is where you need to go for registering yourself to college or ESOL, or this is where you need to go for a community class. Or most of the people when they have, they don't have income, enough income uh, on zero income and the home office is only giving them 37 pounds per week, I think. So nobody's telling you, look, if you are in low income, there is a food bank you can go. Or if you're interested to study, there you go. Uh, this is the college website or ESOL website that you can apply through or community classes. So I think the information are very weak. Asylum seekers or refugees, we all want to integrate, but I think there are no enough information for us to integrate with society. Home Office is sending many asylum seekers to Glasgow East and because of the lockdown and low income there were many families that they were having maybe two two times meals per day and they could not afford to have, have either lunch, uh, lunch or uh, breakfast. So we've provided 25 families with food packs and uh, I had a different approach to it, so I've called the families individually and I've asked them, we are going to provide you with food banks. Is there something specific you want us to bring you or do you want us to give you something with our choice? And the response from the, from the service users were great. Then recently, uh, we uh, were providing smartphones with top-ups to uh, asylum seekers and refugees and they're using it for joining classes. I talk back to their families. 
we are living in 21st century and there are cases that people are suffering from it especially when they're they don't have the access to see their families i believe this is something that will help them to fight with depression and isolation i was very surprised uh, i was never thinking that there will be lockdown i had meetings with uh, the uh, group members we had only seven people i think seven or six people on that time and we had plans and we had our second meeting and then we were planning for the third one and that's where the lockdown was announced and i was shocked how to do it and it was very hard to cope with the situation and for a refugee led group which was formed which was only a month old and then the lockdown came and it was very hard for us in the beginning i was confused i i, I thought maybe to i will lift it until the lockdown finishes and then i thought that it's not good because the service users they were all very excited to to share their opinions to find new friends so i was i can't leave them in this time so then we had to adapt with this new way of working most of the community members are welcoming us but you always see some members of the community they are, they will accept you with with difficulties So I've got access to different communities and that's because when we moved we were going to community classes and govern and then another class and city center and then I was going to Scottish Refugee Council British Red Cross and these other organizations and that was where I've made my connection so uh I have connections with Egyptian community, Yemeni community, Syrian community, uh some Iraqi people and Iranians and then Kurdish people. And then my own community from Afghanistan, I do have links with them in here. We're looking to have every nationality and share my voice and to work with them. Most of the time the the newcomers are lonely and isolated and and when they see you and they talk to you in your uh, talk to you in their language so the the feeling they they get or the feeling they give you back it's it's it makes you think that you're connected with them. I believe on equality so I'm saying if a person is an asylum seeker or if he is a refugee or if he is an uh, a citizen of the country and in my eyes they're all the same because they're human i believe a community is like family so you have brothers you have sisters and then among brothers you have got one which is uh, good one is bad one is happy one is sad and one is poor one is rich 
and then if the if this family lives individually they will all suffer they will suffer from isolation they will suffer from uh, uh, poverty from other problems but whereas if the this family the rich the poor the happy the sad comes together share their problems share what they can share if a rich can share with poor the poor can share with rich so this community is then a family and they will live happily so in my views a community is family Dance With Us is a song I wrote before coming to Glasgow. Um, it's about the solidarity of Middle Eastern women suffering from discriminations and inviting them to support each other and fight for, the, for their rights. Um, this song is one of the songs uh, from my Z-Band EP recorded and produced in Green Door Studio in Glasgow when I was in my residency at the CCA and Glad Cafe. Uh, I was introduced to an Egyptian singer. Uh, we worked together to translate some of the some of my lyrics to Arabic. I sang in English and Habiba sang in Arabic. My name is Farzane Zaman. I'm a singer-songwriter, music producer from Iran, based in Glasgow. And I came here three years ago as the artist in residence of the CCA and Glad Cafe. The music was the reason I was here. I was awarded a fund called Artist Protection Fund, supporting artists who have been censored or prosecuted because of their art so that was the reason I came here and after my residency ended I applied for asylum because of the situation like fast changes happening in my country and I didn't see a good future for my arts that's why I applied, I applied for asylum and I stayed I, I had ups and downs, but I should say I like it here. Community means human connections, mutual support, people. Community means being in touch with people, sharing your experience, learning from them. I'm a part of Iranian refugees community. I'm an artist. I, I, I'm in touch with like art scene in Glasgow, so I can be part of that community too. I also I'm also studying at the School of Art at the moment. I'm in touch with the student community as well. 
yeah, I'm in touch with like pretty, you know, handful of communities, and I feel like I'm, yeah, I, I really like it. I, I think everybody is kind of same. We don't have to just belong to one specific community. It depends to person. It depends to people. Some people might be like more isolated or having smaller kind of connection with people. But I'm I'm really lucky that uh, I have a good connection with different communities in Glasgow. Music scene is on on hold. It's like they stopped venues working and. Uh, my experience of freedom, which lasted only two years until March, it's kind of breaks my heart because I was really happy that I could gig around, like have gigs, perform in even open mics. I remember last event was International Women's Day at the Glad Cafe that I hosted that event. And just a week after that, it ended. So... I, I should say that because of the situation, because of all the you know COVID crisis, it affected the whole music scene in the world. Let alone like uh, UK, just everywhere is like kind of same now. Um, that yeah, it, it it's there's been a disconnect. There's been a disconnect, but I really look forward to uh, kind of you know rebuild my connection with that community. I should say that I've been in touch with uh, organizations that I used to work. I've been recording online concerts, um, and that was me, like keeping uh, keeping on that connection. So, I, like, I recorded a, recorded an online concert for Live Music Now Scotland like six months ago during the first lockdown and. So uh, last week I recorded another concert for uh, an organization in London. So this is what I can do now. Like I, I try my best to, you know, keep that connection. Actually, I started studying postgraduate at the School of Art, so I'm studying design, innovation, and service design. So yeah, I'm learning. I'm just in the middle of learning process, and I'm really, really happy about it because I think this is the best thing I could I could do during this this time. You know, music scene is really amazing in Glasgow. When like everywhere is open, like you feel that support from different venues, different people supporting your music. My cultural background, of course, helped me to, you know, have a, have a voice here because of my background. The reason I came here was female solo voice was banned in Iran after the revolution. Story behind my existence here. So when I perform, this is an interesting story and then people just like like listen to different kind of music like a new voice a new sound you know unfortunately iran is one of the worst uh, affected country because of the crisis and you know everything is out of control in our country not only covid crisis economic crisis and political everything it's just 
how people live there is like a mystery. But my family are doing pretty well. Tedar means father in Farsi and I wrote this song five years ago and I can connect this to a community experience which I had another residency five years ago in Norway and before going there I wrote this song which was playing guitar and just uh, singing and creating that song and then when I went to Norway for my one month residency we went to studio one day with musicians that I never met before we started working on the song and we recorded and finished it in the same day so it was such a great experience um, yeah that's why I chose this because like uh, recently I've been uh, you know kind of emotionally uh, uh, kind of connected to the song and also I've been missing my father recently maybe that's why This episode was made by Ken, who makes the podcast Refugee Voices Scotland. And Sadie, who makes the podcast Accentricity. Thank you to Rachel, Ewan, Farouz and Farzana. And thanks also to Bella. You can find links to more information about our interviewees, our other podcasts and the UNESCO Chair for Refugee Integration through Languages and the Arts in the show notes. In episode five, the final episode in this guest series, you'll hear from people working at the Inclusive Homework Club and the Thistles and Dandelions project. Thanks for listening. Bye. Thank you for listening to the podcast of the UNESCO Chair in Refugee Integration Through Languages and Arts, a podcast series to make you think. More information about work can be found on the website of the University of Glasgow, www.gla.ac.uk. Thank you very much.